I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is Human Capital, where we uncover the deeply human aspect of work. Have you ever been working on a particular activity and thought to yourself, this just drains me and I can't wait until I'm done with it? Or conversely, what about the time when you're in that state of flow at work, where you love what you're doing so much that you lose yourself and perform at your best? We are all created with unique gifts and talents that motivate and inspire us, and we can be triggered by other activities that seem to suck the life out of us. Today, I'm incredibly lucky to have Pat Lencioni join me on the podcast, and he's going to help me explore this topic as we unpack his new book, The Six Types of Working Genius. Pat needs no introduction, but here are a few reminders. He is the founder and president of The Table Group, one of the best known business authors of our time, having written 12 books and sold over 6 million copies that have been translated into 30 languages. And he's the host of three podcasts, At the Table, The Working Genius, and The Simple Reminder. I have read Pat's new book, which I love and highly recommend. So go pre-order it for the September 27 release date. Like so many of Pat's books, it's pragmatic, it's funny, it's a fable. And this one helps us understand a radically new way of how we can work better together. Quick story that speaks to Pat's character before I turn the mic over to him. About 10 years ago, I got the opportunity to hang out with Pat, as well as Amy and Jeff from the Table Group, as they donated two days of their precious time to teaching and training a group of consultants to go out and help improve the effectiveness and health of nonprofit and faith based organizations. Pat's core values and servant leadership come out in everything he does. Welcome, Pat. That's a very kind thing of you to say, Jeff. I hope I live up to that. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. And I love this new book. So we're going to get into that. Before we do, take us back to the beginning of your career and give us a, a quick thumbnail, but also share who or what inspired you in the beginning of your career and along the way? Yes. So I'll do a quick one. You know, I think it started with my dad who worked very hard and was good at what he did. He was a salesperson, didn't go to college, but he, he would come home from work and be frustrated with something he called management. I didn't know what that meant. I was a little kid, but I thought that's a, that's a bummer. <laughs> and then I, I had my own first jobs and I, and I went to college and I worked hard. And uh, I got my own first job at Bain and Company, a management consulting firm. And uh, it was two years of misery. And I didn't know why. It was supposed to be a great job. And I thought, what's wrong with me? And I, I didn't realize it didn't line up with what I was good at. And the culture wasn't good for me. And so I worked at Oracle for a couple of years. I went from the frying pan to the fire. Oracle was not an easy place to work. And it was not a great culture for me. And then I went to another company called Sybase. And uh, I the the the, the founder of the company took me aside and said, you're really good. We want to hire you, but we're going to have to detox you from what you've already learned about work. Because until that time, I thought work was meant to be drudgery. I thought that you were supposed to compete against your colleagues and that it was political. And I had that taken out of me. And five years later, I decided, you know, something I, I came up with some ways of thinking about work. I'd been fascinated by it since my dad came home and I started to understand that. And I decided I wanted to start my own firm to help companies make the culture of their organization, the human side, as in, it, it, frankly, it was more important than the intellectual side because a humanly healthy company actually figures out a way to get smarter. But smart companies that are dysfunctional culturally 
usually struggle. So we started a company 25 years ago this October and uh, didn't know I didn't have a book. I didn't know what was going to go on. I, I had been writing a, a little book for fun and uh, a publisher got it by accident kind of, and published it. And then people started asking for more and asking me to speak. And 25 years later, the table group has been here and uh, 12 books and lots of different models and tools. I keep thinking I'm finished and then another idea comes. And now that we've done the working genius, I understand why, because naturally I'm inclined toward invention and discernment. And that's kind of what we do. Well, keep those ideas coming because they have been absolutely transformative for so many people and organizations. And so I want to get into the working genius. And before we do that, maybe we can just talk about how people tend to think of work in more generalities, you know, not thinking about how tasks and projects get chunked down. I like to be sort of starting with the big picture. Right. You mentioned this in your book, but talk about the difference between ideation, activation, and implementation. Right. So this model came about less, no, two years ago almost exactly here in our offices in Lafayette, California. And we were, I was frustrated that day. I found myself frustrated a lot at work, even though I love my company, I love my work. And so Amy said to me, why, why are you like this? She was really curious. And so it started with me saying, I don't know, but I want to figure it out. And the first thing we figured out is that there's actually three stages of work. And the, the first one is ideation. That's where you come up with an idea. Everybody knows what that is. The last one is implementation, which is when you actually have to get it done. The middle stage, though, was, is often missed, and that's called activation. So we talked to a guy from Nike shortly after we came up with the model, and he worked in innovation. And he said too often they would do ideation, throw it over the wall to somebody to implement. And they were like, why doesn't more, don't more of our ideas work and come to fruition? And they realized they were missing that middle step, which is called activation. Because after somebody comes up with the idea, you have to actually – vet it and tweak it and go back and forth with the ideators. And then you have to get people on board, which, which is part of that step before you can start to implement. And if you skip that middle step, neither side works very well. So those are the three steps, but there's two activities involved in each one. And that's where the six types of working genius comes from. There are six skills or geniuses involved in every kind of work, whether it's launching a product, starting a company, uh, planning a family vacation, rolling out a new a new program, any kind of work at home, in, at church, at school, in the office involves six different skills. And unfortunately, only two of them for us as individuals are our geniuses, where we get joy and energy. Two of them we're okay at, but they don't feed us. And two of them we really get frustrated doing. We call it our working frustrations. And if we don't know which of... Which of those six are our geniuses competencies, we call them, or frustrations, we can go through a whole career frustrated and not know why. So, so that's where, you know, ideation, activation, and implementation come, come into play. Okay. And so what are your working geniuses and your working frustrations? Okay. So if you think about the six of them in order, going from 50,000 feet in the air, which is wonder, all the way down to the sixth one, which is called tenacity which is the final step in getting things done. I, I live up at about 35 and 20,000 feet. I have invention, which I love to come up with new ideas. So that's the second genius. And, and discernment, which is I love to evaluate things. I love, I love to use my gut feel and my instincts and, and kind of um, pattern recognition and intuition 
to evaluate things and come up with ideas. So I, I have those too. I love to, I'm what's called the, the uh, discriminating ideator. I love to come up with new ideas and I love to evaluate them and to make sure they work. So those are my two geniuses. And so when a person comes to me for help, those are the things I love to do. And what are the things that drain you? Well, it's hard to say this, but there's, I mean, it's hard to admit this because you feel guilty, but you shouldn't. I do not have any natural gifting in enablement, which is, which is coming alongside somebody who needs help and helping them on their terms. It's really difficult for me when somebody says, will you help me? I, I'm like, yes, but please let me ideate and discern for you. And they say, no, just do what I ask. Some people are naturally, God gave them the gift. We, you and I were talking before we recorded, like the deacon in the church who says, I love to come alongside people and give them whatever they need. And it's just, that's not natural to me. I can do it sometimes. I certainly have to do it for my children and my wife, but it doesn't come naturally. The other one that I don't have, it's a frustration, is tenacity. I don't like to finish things. I get, I start something, I move on. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to blow through the obstacles at the end. I don't like to tie up all the, the loose ends. I, and so writing a book, I have to have a, an editor, Tracy, who works with me, who forces me to finish it as well as I started it. Because I often give it to her and I go, I think it's good. And she's like, yeah, it's good until the last third of it, which you didn't even try. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, I want to write my next book. She's like, no, get back in the room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack the whip on you until it's, it's as good as the beginning. Well, I'm glad that you have her because it's a great book. Thank you. I think the early readers, some of them, I think, think this might be my best one. I mean, it's, I think I'm getting better as a writer. One of the things I love about it, you are providing a system for people to better understand how they can work together. And so that's number one. The other thing I like about it, I've used Myers-Briggs. Me too. MBTI is very popular. But the challenge is when you get those letters, what do you do with them? Exactly. We've been using Myers-Briggs for 25 years here, more. My wife introduced it to us and we used it with our clients. We still do to a certain extent, but it was always like, so what does this mean about how we get things done? This tool is all about the specific activities and, and they're God-given gifts, but they're related to getting work done, really specific kind of tasks. Yeah. So we're seeing teams have everybody take this and reorganizing their work within 15 minutes. They look at it and they go, holy Toledo, nobody in, nobody in our group likes invention. We better borrow somebody from another department or hire somebody or learn to be better at that. So people, it's very practical. It's very close to the work getting done. The other thing I love is it's really a celebration of diversity. Now, statistically, they have proven that diverse teams outperform non-diverse, homogenous teams, right? Well, yeah, and that's always been true. But the question is, what is diversity exactly? But the working genius model shows that we have these various attributes that are critical to be productive and joy-filled as a team. Exactly. And so when we didn't reflect on that before, we sort of missed out on that opportunity and maybe we're working out of areas of frustration. Well, exactly. And, and um, there's lots of different kinds of diversity, but if you don't get to the heart of this kind, you could have six people on a team of completely different backgrounds and racial background and, and cultural histories. But if they don't, if they actually do work exactly the same way, they're going to be missing a bunch of stuff. So if, if this isn't factored into that, we can be or do our best around diversity and, and really, and it might not work. It won't work. The other thing I like is I'm a big acronym person. So it's super easy because it's just widget. It's wonder, invention, 
discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. Yeah, and I will tell you, I did not try to do that. But I, but well, I didn't until the end. So when we started coming up with names for these, wonder was the right one because it's like people that wonder. And invention was clear because that's what people come up with. Discernment was a great word because it, it's, it's like, oh, people that just know how to discern the right answer. And then we got to G and galvanizing was the right word. And I said, it's widge. Oh my gosh, this could be widget. Yeah. But I still didn't want to do that because I didn't want it to seem like we started out by saying, let's come up with a word. Of course. And then we struggled with enablement because people said, well, it sounds like drug addicts and, and alcoholics getting <laughs> enabled. We said, that's true. But all the other words we came up with were like support and help and they weren't right. So we said, enablement is right. And when I got to widget, I said, we're going to find a T word, darn it. <laughs> I'm not going to make it widgel, you know, and and tenacity was good. It was like the people that just love to push things through to the end. So, yeah, it does help. It does help. And I like it. Widget. It's about getting things done. And then my wife came up with the idea. She looked at the model and said, and I had six circles. She said, those should be gears because they all they work off one another. One propels the next. And so that's how that came about. Thinking about these six different types, I want you to just speak for a second, Pat, about how each of these has inherent value in their own unique way. So can you put our listeners at ease? Yes. I think God made us to need one another. And the thing is, no one person, no man is an island. Who said that? I can't remember who, what author said that. But we are not meant to work alone. And I remember right when I started my company, I yeah. didn't know this model, but I, I decided to leave my, my job. I was a vice president at a company. And my dad said, don't leave, Pat, you have benefits. And, a, you know, he was came from a very conservative background around finances and stuff. And I said, Dad, um, I'm, I'm going to start my own company. And then I said, and I'm going to hire four people that worked with me before. And he said, oh, no, no, no. Wait until you make enough money to afford them. And I said, Dad, I'm so bad at some of the things we need to do. And they're good at them. I'll never make any money. And even early on, I knew I needed others. Now I understand why. I mean, I understand exactly. I can explain it. And so God gives none of us all of these things. And yet people go, go, go through their life feeling guilty for the ones they don't have, especially if you were raised a certain way. You know, Jeff, I grew up, my dad had, a, had his type. And when he asked me to help him with things, he wanted me to help him the way he did them. So like he'd get me up to mow the lawn every weekend and I hated it. I loved my dad, but I hated mowing the lawn. And I always thought, man, I'm a bad son. I'm lazy. But I realize now that he wanted me to do exactly what, I, what he asked me to do and to, fit, and to do it perfectly. And those are my two working frustrations, enablement and tenacity. Had he said to me, hey, Pat, see the, see the lawn? I want you to go figure out how you want to do it, what, what we could plant where. And, and, and you figure it out on your own and use your judgment. I'd have been like, ooh, how fun. So I just am not good at responding in other people's needs. And that yet there's people I know that are like, just call me. I'll do whatever you need me to do. And for years, I thought, I'm just not a nice person. And it's like, oh, when we came up with a model and took the and we designed the test, my son and Tracy, and we designed the test, it was like, oh, okay, this explains everything. Similarly, we had pastors call us, Jeff, and say, I thought I've been feeling guilty about being a pastor for the last 20 years. We we're like, why? They said, because every time I have to write a sermon or a homily, I'm, I don't, I'm not good at it. And I thought, why did I become a pastor? They took the working genius and they didn't have any wonder or invention, but they were good at counseling and running their church and, and, and organizing activities, but they didn't have creative new 
groundbreaking ideas about what to speak on. And they finally said, I now I realize I just didn't get that gift. Now I can call this other person who has that natural gift. They can help me. It allows them to be who God made them to be. It allows me to be who God made me to be. And it doesn't mean I'm a failure. We carry guilt and judgment around our whole lives because we think that we're supposed to be everything. And none of us, none of us are. It seems as though maybe there's a greater realization today with the pandemic and the global collective trauma that we've all experienced around that. And that leading to the great resignation. But are people oh. sort of getting to that point where burnout has, they, they, they have not been working out of their genius. Is that true? Yeah. And the, par- the problem is, is when people don't understand this genius, their genius and their frustration, they're, it's just as important to understand that. They think that the way to make their lives better is to work less. Mm. And here's what's interesting, Jeff. Take a person who has mild or to low satisfaction in their job, but they're not working in their genius at all. Giving them less work to do, not in their genius, does not make them happier. In fact, it makes them worse. Giving them more work to do, but allowing them to use their genius makes them happier. So there are people out there that work 12 hours a day in their genius. Sure. And they are on top of the world. Mm-hmm. There are people working four hours a day from home thinking they're getting away with something, but it's drudgery and their, their self-esteem. And I think that's what the great resignation is. They're like, well, screw it. I'm not going to do this anymore. But they're not replacing it with something meaningful. And that's why what we find is there's so many people right now who are so sad and their, their morale is so low. And when you discover your genius that God actually put you on this earth to do something, it is, it is the best. And, and that applies at home as well as at work. Not every aspect of parenting is easy for me. I have to do it anyway. But if I'm not using my genius as a parent, my kids aren't getting the best for me and I'm not going to be the parent I need to be. So understanding this changes everything. And I think the great resignation and everything that's going on right now is, is a more personal and psychological problem than it is an economic one. It almost feels like this book and this model they're business oriented, but they're really personally oriented about self-development and finding peace within yourself. I'm reading this book right now called The Five Regrets of the Dying. I don't know if you've heard of it, but- Oh, I have not. Fascinating book about this Australian woman who does hospice care and she has an opportunity to be with people in their end days and learns from them. But what I'm getting, Pat, is that your book almost provides a, a new realization for people that if they can change the way they work to live out of their place of joy, they can go through the rest of their life and end up at a place of peace rather than stress. Yes. And, and you know what's interesting about this? First of all, Cody, who works on our team, he, he, when he saw this model, three days later, he has discernment and galvanizing. He said, this is going to be bigger than the five dysfunctions of a team, which is our biggest thing. And so we're, it, it's, that seems absolutely true right now based on what the response we're getting. More than a quarter of a million of people have taken this assessment before the book has even come out. And the responses are that this is life-changing and team-changing and company-changing. But I think the interesting thing is on October 1st of last year, after this model had been around for a while, we decided to relaunch our company after 24 years. And we're really focused now broader than organizational health on human dignity Hmm. because we think that is what this is all about and that gets into faith and culture and society and relationship and all those different things and this book touches all of that and this model does and i think you're exactly right it is so far beyond just work 
It's about people. And one of the groups of people that I'm most excited to use this are retiring people. Because think about what, what is retirement really? Retirement is I'm no longer going to get paid to work, it looks like, but I can now work doing whatever I love most. Retirement can be the best time in your life if you've never got to live in your genius. So go volunteer by using the geniuses and find people who need those geniuses. And it's going to be a marriage made in heaven. But if we retire and think we're just going to watch more TV or just golf, we lose so many people. My dad went through this. Um, he didn't have a purpose after retirement. And he, it was really, I wish I'd had the working genius. God bless him. Because he would have been able to see like, oh, I'm meant to do this kind of stuff. So I think we should all retire right now, whether we're getting paid or not and find the geniuses that we, we need to use and spend much of our time using them. So let's shift and talk a little bit about teams. Was it in the five dysfunctions of a team that you were talking about the fundamental attribution error? Yes. First of all, maybe you can explain to listeners that aren't familiar, what is the fundamental attribution error? And then how can we actually reduce that by knowing somebody's working genius? Yeah, I, the fundamental attribution I learned in college in a social psychology class. And it's one of the few things from college that really stuck with me that I apply, you know? And it, it goes like this. When other people do things that annoy us, we tend to attribute it to their character. We make a fundamental attribution about their character. It's an internal one. And this is the guy that cuts us off in traffic you know, on, on St. Mary's yeah. road, we, you and I live in, and, and we think what a jerk Yeah, that person. Wow. To be married to that person or to be, to have to work with that person. They, they're just an, a selfish, uncaring person. They didn't even care about me. The next day I'm driving down that same road and I cut somebody else off because <laughs> I, I got confused or something. And I think, Oh, I'm not a jerk. I just didn't know where I was going. And it's a tough day. And so we tend to give ourselves, we have more information about ourselves and not about others. And St. Francis of Assisi said, seek to understand others more than to be understood. Mm, that's great. And so the fundamental attribution break down relationships because we tend to judge others and expect people not to judge us. So the key is know people, know who they are. What are they all about? What is their story? What's their situation today? You're going to be less likely to commit the fundamental attribution error. Well, once you know a person's working genius, you're like, oh, no wonder we tend to judge people and say things like, gosh, I think he's not that, he doesn't work that hard or he doesn't care or he's not very smart. When, in, when you learn their, fun, their, their working right. genius, you go, oh, it's not that at all. It's just, <laughs> you're not naturally gifted in that area. Right. This is my favorite story, I think, Jeff, the favorite kind of story, because we've had a, many of these people call us and say, I was about to fire someone. And when they, we took the working genius and I realized, Oh, they're a great cultural fit for the organization. I had wow. them in the wrong role. We had a guy, I think it was at a, I can't remember what kind of organization it was. He was in North Carolina and he said he was going into a performance review and it was going to be ugly. Sure. He yeah. knew he'd been struggling. He goes in there. He takes the working genius the, the day before he brings the results and hands it to his manager. His manager looked at it and says, well, no wonder you're, you're, you're doing terrible. You're in the wrong job. We have this <laughs> other job over here. Oh my gosh. You would be fantastic. They gave him a raise and put him in a different job when he was going in to talk about why he wasn't good at what he did, but they didn't know why. So it just gives language. I'm, I'm parenting my youngest son differently because I know what his working genius is. I'm going to give you an example. He is what's called, he has wonder and enablement. These are people that are really deep thinkers and they love to help others. They don't advocate for themselves very well. 
So he had a group of friends who wasn't treating him very well, and he never stood up for himself. And we would say, and, and in our, with our other sons, we just said, stand up for yourself. You know, you should do this. We understood why. We understood that was baked into him. We could explain to him, hey, it's okay, but understand this is kind of what happens with you. Sure. And as a result of that, rather than us criticizing him, we empathize with him and he made the decision on his own. Wow. And so this is a fundamental way to understand people. The ramifications come about in five minutes of looking at the results. And the, and the assessment takes 10 minutes to take, which we love. By the way, before we get too far off of that, just go to workinggenius.com to take the assessment. Yes, workinggenius.com, two Gs in the middle. It costs, and we, we purposefully priced it at $25. Dave Ramsey is my friend. He did the financial guy, if you know me, Dave. And he, I, and he said to me, this is worth way more than $25, Pat. You should have charged a lot more. And I said, I know, Dave, but we don't want anybody. We don't want a, a junior in college or a parent or a family to say, oh, we can't all afford to do this. Once you do this, it changes the way you look at people. My wife and I, our marriage has changed as a result of this. That's incredible. Well, your whole concept and mission of providing dignity for people sort of connects to the price. You, you make right. this accessible to everybody, right? Exactly. And by the way, you mentioned the team thing before. You know what one of my challenges is, Jeff? What's that? Is that th this, this tool is really two very different but related things, but they're very different. One, it's an individual tool for understanding yourself and, and what you should do. But the team application, it's actually a productivity tool. I was talking to a CEO just two days ago, a friend, and he said, oh, Pat, have I told you what, what Working Genius did for our organization? He goes, he, he asks his employees, he goes, we are editing one another better. We are giving each other feedback. We're switching roles on our own. Wow. Employees are going, hey, why don't I do that thing for you? Why don't you do this thing for me? Oh, my gosh, I'm going to love my job. They're getting more done in less time with the same number of people. Sure. So when a company says we're having a hard time hiring people because of the great resignation, what they're finding is they do this and they're like, oh, we can get more out of the people we have, but only if we understand their geniuses and their frustrations. Well, and the table group is all about organizational health. Right. And what I'm reflecting on is that today, if you look out at what the buzzwords are in people operations and HR, it's all about employee experience. And I'm thinking about how the working genius model really connects up beautifully to both the organizational health, which is a cultural, is it can be a cultural thing. Yeah. And employee experience. So if you do this broadly, can it really impact employee experience? In a massive way. So, so there's two ways to look at employee experience. It's like the CEO and the executive team, the leaders setting the culture for the organization and, and making it work well. And, and that's critical. And too many organizations think culture is about giving them free food or a, a pool to swim in or, or all this other stuff. And even, even like flexible hours, that's the new one. Like you don't have to come to work. Well, if you hate your works working from home, I guess makes it a little less miserable, but it's not going to change their job. But the other thing you can look from the bottom up and say to people, I want you to know what you're best at and come to us and help us give you work that, that aligns with what you're best at. And so it, it needs to be organized from the top but it also needs to be celebrated and, and planted from the bottom so people can advocate for like, I think I could give this organization so much more if I were allowed to use these geniuses. So it's, it's a game changer. One that I didn't expect. I mean, we used to use the Myers-Briggs, but we never really understood how that could transform the, the culture of an organization. This tool can. We still love the Myers-Briggs for understanding things about your personality, but this is more about your job.
What are your words of wisdom, Pat, for somebody who suddenly realizes they've just been working in their area of frustration, maybe for, for years or even decades, and all of a sudden it's this epiphany. So what words of wisdom do you have for them? Well, the first thing is no guilt, just be grateful. I remember I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I've had it since I was a kid. I got diagnosed when I was 25. And I was like, wow, that's great. I remember the first time I got diagnosed, somebody told me the story of a 70-year-old man who had had it his whole life and didn't know. And I remember thinking, oh, man, he must have been bummed. He was like, no, this is so great that I finally figured this out. So wherever you are in your life, celebrate the relief of knowing that there's nothing wrong with you. You were just tough on yourself because you didn't understand. And allow yourself to lean into the gifts God gave you. The other words of wisdom I would say is some people may realize they've been working in their er the wrong area and they've actually gotten good at it. Don't let that trick you into thinking you should continue to do it. Sure. Because there are people that because of their wounds or because their discipline or whatever else have grinded hard enough to get good at something they don't like, have the, have the wisdom and the courage and the leap of faith to go and, and find a way to do what you do. You know, when, when professional football players or athletes retire really early, you know, yeah. I don't know if you follow Barry Sanders is like the best running back ever. And at age 30, he quit. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> right. what are you doing? I think he might've been 29. And I think he probably just said, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. I'm good at it because I got praised for it, but I really don't like running over people and, and doing something. I want to go do something else. And that is good. That is good. Absolutely. That is good. No question. So before we jump into some lightning round questions, you're, you're fairly open about your faith sometimes. And I'm wanting to, you to share, if you will, how has your faith shaped your values and who you are as a person and a business leader? Well, it's hard to answer that because it's, it's the core. I would say, how has my occasional lack of faith <laughs> drifted me? <laughs> but but that's one of the big things that we did last year is we said, you know, we're going to lean into the whole person, the human dignity, which is something given by God. So my faith is throughout my life is constantly realigning me around what matters and what's important. And um, what I'm amazed is I'm 57 years old and I feel like I'm just starting every every year. I'm like, well, I'm growing in my faith. I just realized how much further I have to go. So I, I guess I would say it's central. You know, Jesus is the first person I, I greet when I wake up in the morning. And uh, I try to, as I walked out of the house today, I felt myself getting a little like caught up in work. And I was like, okay, Jesus, stay with me. Let me stay with you. Let me not lose sight of you. So yeah, that's, 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 that's what I would that. say. I'm going to ask you some lightning round questions, but before I do, you have a lightning round concept for teams, for, for meetings. Can you share what that is before <laughs> I throw my lightning round questions at you? Yeah, ours is a little different, although it's it's called that for the same reason. Be before a meeting, we, we say, before you start talking about what you think you're going to talk about at the meeting, just go around and give everybody 30 seconds at most. They can they probably use 15 to say, here's what I, here's what's on. Here's what I think I'm working on right now. Okay. And then like you're three minutes into the meeting, if everybody, if six people use 30 seconds and then you go, okay, wow, I'm way more informed about what everybody's doing. That's going to help us understand what we need to be thinking about because I didn't even know two of you were doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. So the lightning round is just a quick way of level setting. So people know what they think they're working on. So we might know what we need to change. So my lightning round questions for you are just top of mind and I'm going to throw them out there. You tell me what you think. All First right, of all, fun. it's a very easy one. The first one is, what are you most grateful for? It is an easy one. It's my wife and my children. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's definitely that. I mean, it's my faith and the gift, the gift that I 
I'm most grateful for is my wife and my children. And I need to, I need to slow down and appreciate that more. It's so easy to see what's lacking and, you know, and to get frustrated and boy, that idea of counting your blessings every day. My wife has got eight out of 10 fantastic qualities, which is higher than I can, I deserve. And gosh, darn it. If we can't focus on the two that we need, that we wish were different. So it's, it's her and my, 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 my boys. It's the human condition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Isn't it? Right. Isn't it? <laughs> Uh, what's the most difficult leadership lesson you learned over your career, Pat? Well, it gets into vulnerability. It's just like that you can you can dig yourself in trying to defend yourself and pretend you don't have problems and that you just have to just stop and say, yeah, I, it's my fault. There's a lot of things I do and that I bring on and I and I can't blame others. And so those moments of vulnerability seem easy to talk about. But in the every single moment of those, it's painful. And liberating, but the pain you have to go through to be liberated is is huge. And there's so much growth through vulnerability. I think of the working oh. genius model on how there's an opportunity for people to be vulnerable with each other and grow out of that vulnerability, right? Well, it, and it actually makes it less painful because you can say to somebody, oh, this isn't because I'm a bad person. This is because I'm just not good at this. And it gives you the context to do that. With. Right, for sure. We've only had one person take it. My son, Matt, got a note from somebody saying, I'm good at all six. What, did that, what do they call themselves? I'm a lethal systems thinker. I can do it all. We were like, oh. Uh, who's one person you would interview if you could, living or not? Oh, uh, living or not. You know, there is an author who I love. His name is Dean Kuntz. And he writes, some people might know him as a, he's super prolific and he writes these books. They're not horror books. They're supernatural. They're beautiful books. Mm -hmm. And he's a great writer. And I could, I'm afraid to do it because I love his books so much that I'm kind of afraid that I would be disappointed, <laughs> but I think it would be Dean Kuntz. And I, I can't recommend his books enough. He is one of these deceptively deep authors that writes these books that are easy to hard to put down. And then you realize that he's a brilliant writer and thinker. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, you know, when I was in, um, before I started my company, I was in a meeting and the vice president of marketing, who was a pretty well-known guy in his industry, he said to me, I didn't know him very well. And I had just gotten married. And he said, hey, Pat, do you have kids? We were having a meeting to go over a presentation around the company's purpose and to sure. analysts or to employees. He said, hey, Pat, do you have kids? And I said, no, I don't, not yet. We just got married. And he goes, well, when you do, I want you to spend time with him because I have a 16-year-old son and I don't know him. And it's really awful. Wow. So let's talk about the presentation, he said. And I was like, whoa, that he said that to me? Was that vulnerable? And later on, so when I had kids, I always kept that in mind. And I remember like my, my twins were getting, having their first confession in the Catholic Church, you know, and I got invited to, to fly across the country to get an award because I had sold a million books. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to their first confession. Yeah. They can mail me that trophy. I don't right. <laughs> care. But I remember Stuart, the guy that gave me that advice, it stuck with me. And mm. so many times I've had opportunities to do something that would have been professionally beneficial. And I was like, no, I'm coaching their soccer team. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay home. I could fly out overseas and it would be kind of cool to say, oh, I went to Switzerland to give a talk. And nah, I can always go to Switzerland, but. Yeah. So I've really erred on the side of doing family things and mm -hmm. that I really appreciate his advice. I like to ask at the end of the podcast, what the most important takeaway is. And I want you to share that, but I also want you to, to share what your hope is for the working genius model. So if you have a vision for this, 
and you think of it five, 10, 20 years from now, what's your hope? I hope that there are no people that spend time in their, that, that get to the end of their career or their lives and say, I didn't actually use the gifts that gave me joy and that would have given joy to others. And, and I, when I was a kid and my dad used to come home from work, I remember being kind of heartbroken. Like my dad's a great guy. He works really hard and he's just not loving what's going on there. And I just don't want people to do that because, you know, the way we work affects if there's three things we do in our life, Jeff, we sleep, we work, and we live the, our, pri- our personal lives. Yeah. If you, you could break it down that way. The way we work impacts the other two more than the other two impacts their work. Mm. So in other words, people, I hope people sleep well. I hope people, their personal lives are critically important. But if your work is bad, you don't sleep well and you don't have good personal experiences because you feel down. So yeah. I want work to be a, an additive effect in life, not a, a minus effect. Wonderful. I love that. Thanks for sharing all this great wisdom, Pat, and for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me on this. I really appreciate your interest and passion and your, and uh, giving me this opportunity to talk to you. God bless you, Jeff. You too. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.